The Beer and Pretzel Podcast and Trash Talk Podcast are part of the Buttwide, though, and Podfix Networks. Check them out to hear more content from other great podcasters. Wow, thanks so much for having me, Austin. I so appreciate it. I'm like super excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Ben. Thanks for joining the podcast, the Beer and Pretzel Podcast. We're a show all about indie games, and you have a very cool game that we're going to be talking about today. So let's jump into this. Well, first of all, how are things going in Japan right now, where you're from? Japan's great. I mean, everyone's very sensible, and we all wear masks, uh, even though it's totally not necessary because everyone just cares about each other and how we all feel. Um, So, you know, and there's uh, Melonpon, and uh, it's just like, I don't know. Life is great, and I'm ready for the day. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, yeah, no problem, and that's great to hear. Every time I talk to someone, because we talk to, it seems like half the people we talk to that are role-playing game creators are from outside the United States. We talk to people from Australia, uh, Japan now, a lot Mm. of people from Europe, and pretty much every time we talk to them, it seems like life is great over there, and it definitely makes me want to get the hell out of the United States, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know, maybe it's just grass is green on the other side, I don't know. I, I do think the, the United States is in a currently, like, culturally, ter- like, a, a period of cultural turmoil, right? Mm. Um, where everyone's very polarized, and, you know, there's not a cohesive sense of national identity and care that I think some other countries, you know, may have to, uh, you know, varying extents. And, you know, I feel like the U.S., you know, have has had um in the past um and so you know it's fine go leave the u.s for a few years and uh, hopefully it'll get better (laughs) yeah it's not a bad plan (laughs) or or you can can wage your culture wars and uh and become bloodied by them uh i don't know i feel like the u.s uh you know to to make this a u.s thing it's like it's like europe in in the like um the crusades right everyone's (laughs) just at each other's throats oh my goodness yeah I never heard that analogy, but it's it's true. Yeah, you know, like everyone right now, it's just tensions are high. Everyone hates each other, and there's not a nice thought going around. And you know, and then I talk to someone like you from Japan, and just life seems great. And we were talking about this before the interview, but <laughs> I, I'm telling you, like I'm like not too far away from just packing up and moving to Peru, my wife and my cat. So that's coming one of these days. But anyway. Uh, jump- I'm rooting for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you made the trip all the way to Japan, and you're having a great time. So, I I guess I can do it. Yeah. I was telling you that people in Vermont, where I live, they usually tend to not leave Vermont for whatever reason. So I need to get out of that bad habit and that uh, stereotype, and you know, make it work somehow. I do have you know a a very privileged position where I where I am. I'm a student, right? So I'm not in the in the work environment where my say my like my boyfriend right he works 12 to 15 hours a day wow right so there is you know there's the sun's not all shiny in japan right true um like he's a salaryman um like and so he's a full-time worker uh and that's brutal <laughs> i can't imagine i'm happy at least right now where i am and people are very kind to me um uh that's that's the situation. I'm so happy to and, and proud 
genuinely to introduce this game uh, and to be on one of the podcasts who are like making this world a better place. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> That's so yeah. Nice I, to hear. I think I generally think that role playing games, right? Because you are stepping into the shoes of another person, you are imagining mm. a life that is at least slightly different than your own. Um, unless you're doing something like, uh, you know, there's a few autobiography, autobiographical, how do you pronounce that? Autobiographical, uh, you know, RPGs out there, right? That like, um, like Logan's, uh, there's a wonderful game on itch called uh, uh, Logan, and it's an autobiography of the designer's life, right? Oh. So if, you, if you're doing an, an, a game other than that, right? Uh, <laughs> then you're stepping into someone else's shoes. Uh, well, I guess, I guess he, uh, and, uh, anyone else can step into his shoes, literally. But yeah. uh, there's p- role-playing is a fundamentally empathetic um, exercise, right? Because you are imagining other realities. You are imagining other lives. You are trying to feel what other people are feeling, whether you, it, it's simply, you know, you're in a kind of horror-like situation going, delving into a dungeon, right? You are feeling the tension. It's like, is my character going to die, right? You can imagine that. Or if you're playing Night Witches, right, by um, Jason Morningstar, you are a Russian pilot, a, a woman in, the, in World War II flying a, a little tinsy little airplane, and you're, you're feeling what's it what it is like to be a a woman in a men's army like they these what role-playing games do is help us like connect with each other more and you know podcasts that introduce these types these this like a wonderful amount of like games that are coming out generally do make uh, everyone more empathetic and you know we're all better community for it, I think. We're in a great time right now for indie role-playing games. Like, even uh, five years ago, especially 10 years ago, when I first started playing role-playing mm-hmm. games around 15 years ago, it was Dungeon Dragons, and that was it. There were technically other games, but, like, no one in my area knew about them. No one was playing it. Mm-hmm. It was only Dungeon Dragons, which was great because I had a blast doing it, and it started my creative path uh, with games and other hobbies and even career paths. And I developed this podcast because right now we're in kind of a boon of explosion of indie games that are coming out that are tackling so many different kinds of genres and so many different kinds of play styles, storytelling games, uh, like skirmish games. There's just so many awesome games out there use so many different kinds of mechanics uh recently on this podcast we played um uh star cross which uses a jenga tower and yeah, it's all alex about forbidden love yeah beautiful. alex roberts yeah i was just talking to her on the podcast recently and uh, it was great to talk about that game and today what we talk about is mod I'm screwing that up already. Uh, Manishtina, which is about uh, Passover. You can't screw it up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this could be Uh, our first faith-based game. And for our listeners, this this episode is our interview episode that I'm talking to Ben right now about his game. But in a week, we're going to be having a two or maybe even a three-part episode where we're going to be playing his game, Manishtina. In the beginning of the game, Manishina, you talk about how it uh, that this game is for Jews, non-Jews, and the Jewish. 
Can you talk about why it was very important for you to focus on making that this was a game for anyone to play? And can you talk about any struggles you may have ran into in making a game based on Passover that perhaps a large amount of the players may not know much about? Um, can you talk about how you were able to do that without simplifying and maybe taking away some important things of Passover for you? I think, you know, it's it's perfectly fine for, you know, creators who want to create games for a specific audience, right? Um, so and this is to, to, to you know, before I just answer why we wanted to make it you know, as welcoming as possible to everyone, I, I, just, I, I do want to say that, you know, I, it's totally valid for people to say, you know, this is a game for Jews, right? It might have some very serious topics in it, right? That, you know, some players might not have comfortable, uh, not feel comfortable with people of any background playing. Um, uh, for me, that's not my... Uh, cre creative aesthetic. Uh, I love to make games that you know, help people connect to other people that they don't know about. Uh, and uh, that's my area of focus. This game, the attended audience is, is maybe like one, you know, really nerdy Jewish, uh, <laughs> Jewish girl or someone um, uh, who wants to play with her family or with friends. Um, and and people who don't know anything about role playing games, or perhaps don't know anything about, uh, you know, Passover and or games for someone like me who's you know, I'm not, you know, very observe. I'm not a very observant Jew. Like I I I do I do go to you know uh, shrines in Kyoto and pray to other gods <laughs> other than you know. Um, the 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 god of uh of my people uh of the of the book um and and so this game is intended to be a welcoming space where people who feel jewish maybe they've you know uh kind of feel separate from judaism or don't uh go to are not close with their family anymore can still enjoy passover um or people who do enjoy passover can play in a new playful spirit right with their family because there's there's you know kind of two tracks of of rituals in the game you know every scene has a ritual action that's built or, or modeled after the the core bits of the seder right or for example eating bitter herbs like you can do that traditional action and then go to a scene that is associated with that inspired by it or you can do uh a what we saw, we what we call alternative ritual actions, which is like eat something that you do not particularly like, but are feel but feel comfortable eating, and so you can you can get that kind of similar vibe, that similar flavor in a uh, a less spiritual way. Although this game is is imbued with uh with references to the divine and and seeing new possibilities, um, which is. I think what religion does at its best. With that said, can you talk about your journey in creating this game? Like when was the moment that you were like, I, cause I've went to your itch.io and you've made other indie role-playing games. When was the moment in your life that you decide, Hey, I want to uh, tackle this subject and create a role-playing game out of it. Uh, can you talk about when it was and like how long it took to manifest this idea and come to this point that we're at the turning point for you in making this into a Kickstarter mm. role-playing game? Yeah, so I, I, I've always loved uh, designing games. Like I, I have a background. I was a, a camp 
counselor at a, at a LARP camp in Massachusetts uh, for many years. <laughs> and, uh, and so just like designing little things uh, for kids. Um, and then um, I was a, a, I was lover of you know, a bunch of, of role-playing games. Uh, I'm a member of the Gauntlet. Um, but in 2017, about like I, I this game is co-created with my cousin Gabrielle, right? Uh, this is is a game about family and the ties that that fuel revolution, right? Because you know Exodus is a story of revolt, it's a story of finding freedom, and 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 the the ties that that undergird that freedom, right? Because you can't do a revolution alone. Um, and in the Exodus story, all members, all, even the Pharaoh, right? They're all characters in the story, central characters are part of a family. Um, however, uh, uh, internally conflicted that family is. Um, and so going along with that theme, uh, this game was created with my cousin because I, I would go to her house in New Jersey every year, uh, and we're both very creative people. Our our family celebrates Passover in very interesting ways. For example, I, I, there's a memorable and a kind of semi-famous uh, a semi-famous uh, Passover where uh, the aunts and uncles did a uh, shadow puppet uh, show of Passover and we used my aunt Abby's hair as the burning bush, right? Or creating a uh, a representation for each plague with candy, right? And huh. and the, the Red Sea is represented with gelatin, right? We always did <laughs> Passover in very interesting and like very fun loving ways. Um, so it's not purely a ritual, like a, a a, a memory of, of of Jewish sorrow, um, but a it's a it's a ritual uh, and a, an occasion to rejoice, um, you know, for our family. And so we wanted to bring that and make a game out of it because um, with with that spirit, we we started making a game out of it uh, because after Passover one evening, we were just talking about different possibilities of like how the Passover story could end in a very free form kind of role playing may like I like I remember that the, the Pharaoh was pregnant right and like you know chased Moses to the sea and like the, the, they're like I'm, I'm trying to remember how the, the story actually ended something like you know uh like the the, the Hebrew people you know walked through the sea uh not so much as humans, but they transformed into fish, right? In, in a kind of like beautiful uh, alternative versions of the story, because we were just fanficking uh, <laughs> uh, biblical canon, <laughs> which, I, which is great. Uh, and we, we, we thought, you know, maybe other people would enjoy thinking about uh, Passover uh, in a similar way, where it's it's not you know, always the same ending, but, you know, th through hitting the, the narrative beats of Exodus, we can get actually closer to the original story and the themes of it because we're seeing it play out through the character's eyes, right? We can, we can feel what it, it is like for a family to be in turmoil and we can feel what it's like to, you know, finally find freedom. Um, because that's, you know, for me, what the magic for role-playing does um it's not just narrativizing but it's it's making things feel real um 
Yeah. Uh, and so it was, it was with my cousin uh, at Passover one evening that kind of started this. Um, she she is a uh, a a teacher of programming to girls at uh, New York uh, Museum of Natural History, uh, and she's brilliant. Um, so I I I I have a pretty face, right? Uh, and but the true the true. Uh, clarity of the text, right, uh, uh, comes from uh, Gabrielle. Working with Gabrielle on this, um, you were talking about how you guys kind of, uh, you guys put this together after uh, Passover and your journey and come until now. Now you're at a point that uh, this game is on your It channel and you're going to be doing a Kickstarter for it. So talk about what can people expect from this game, if they come in and check your game out, I will be putting a link to your Kickstarter in uh, if it's out by this point, by the time this episode comes out. Uh, if not, I will update it by the time it does come out. For people that are interested, there'll be a mm. uh, link to that uh, Kickstarter below. But when people check out your game, and I advise people should definitely check it out, uh, what can they expect from this game in terms of the mechanics or what the game is all about and what they'll be playing as? Yeah, uh, I'm so that's a great question, Austin. Um, you know, the games like Aziba's Bed and Breakfast, like Jay Dragon's game, it's like it's 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 part of a movement um, of casted games or like um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Red Carnations on a Black Grave. Um, uh, th these games, you know, have a cast of characters that you can play and they have a, an established setting. Um, but within that, you have a ton of freedom of how you express that and how those characters develop. Um, and in this game, there's a, a you play a character, right? But then also every player um, takes turns playing the facilita facilitator of a scene. We call that a ritual guide, where you just uh, through a structured kind of uh, uh, almost like a scene book, right? You know, here's a here's a description of the ritual action. Please do it. And then there's a few questions to help uh, the table status establish a, a specific scene. Correct? Like, oh, where is it? Who do you think is there? Um, and then there's a few questions uh, associated with the scene. So I'm going to, you know, scroll down to uh, one of the initial scenes of the game to, you know, the game begins with a few flashback scenes to help establish character relationships. Um, and in one of the flashback scenes called A Babe in the Bulrushes. And, it, you know, this this is the title of the scene, but it you don't actually need a baby in it. You don't need a Bulrushes. It's like in this, it says, um, it's setting up the scene, the ritual guide, who's, you know, has the rotating GM hat, right? The, the facilita rotating facilitator hat. The ritual guide says, and it's all in bold, so it's very easy to read. In this scene, someone is saved in secret. We play to find out whose help is needed to pull this off and what it takes to convince them. Uh, and so, you know, already imbued in that is kind of a, is is the, the verbiage of Powered by the Apocalypse, uh, where, you know, people say, we play to find out. Like, this is not a game where the ending is determined. There's no dice or, or anything. You just speak as your character. And every character has one or uh, has two moves, basically, where they can just do something that is truly established in their character for example the prophet miriam you know can see the future so she can you can she can say something right um uh, and you know there's a drop down list or she can make up her own of you know what she sees in the future um for example chaos and confusion right um 
but then you know the consequence is built into it so it's like what then she asks the table what did i fail to foresee you know when she finally says you know i this prophecy that i made occurs there's chaos confusion you know in the pharaoh's court right or if we're you know in in a setting if you know you can play the game however you want you know if if you know Egypt is actually e-shipped, right? <laughs> if it's a, you know, a if it's a uh, 21st century delivery company like, you know, Amazon or something like that, and that's the the tyrant that is impressing the workers, right? You know, um, the person who's playing Miriam can say, you know, I see chaos and confusion, and all the trucks are in a terrible state, uh, <laughs> which I, I uh, they're they're all uh blocking traffic and then she can say you know what did i fail to uh to foresee um and then you know that builds the story when everyone else at the table you know provides what they could imagine would be a cool possibility i think one very interesting mechanic in this game that's pulled from how we celebrate the stater at home is a it's kind of a version of the x card um, there's a lot of people who don't like the x card and for valid reasons um it's called wait 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 where you know through a, a kind of uh, constructive uh, interruption, right? Uh, you can say, "Wait, wait, wait! I have a question about this scene," or "Wait, wait, wait! I have this cool idea." You can make a suggestion um, for how the story could go, and so, like at our family table, where everyone's kind of talking over one another in a very playful uh, and good-natured manner, um, people can help edit the story actively. Um, like a a room of a, a writer's room, uh, and come with a fabulous and unforeseen solution at the end. So that's kind of what you would expect. It's a rotating gem. People play a cast of characters. There's Miriam. There's Zipporah. There's Moses. Uh, there's Bitia, who's Moses's uh, adopted mother. There's the Pharaoh. There's Aaron. Uh, and there's a cast of six characters. Uh, you get to enjoy Passover through a series of, of rituals and scenes that are taken from the original story. And you go through narrative beats and you don't have to follow the traditional story. If your table wants to go hog wild, they can go to space, they can do it in a present day. It's uh, a supportive and welcoming guidebook. And we mean it as a guidebook, not a rule book, because it's here to guide you. And if you want to divert from it, uh, you sure can. Um, one thing that's really cool at the end of it, it's it, there's a um, one of one of the kind of like rituals um, at at the end of the book is just like after all of the role playing is finished, we're like we reflect upon what has happened, and one of the them is like adding your voice to the story of Passover, so you can edit uh, one of the rituals in the book or create your own like rituals or or scenes and change the text so that you know your copy of Manishana um, will become more and more unique each time you play it um, because your table will be slowly changing the guidebook themselves um, and so it it's you know we're giving this to you but you can make it your own and I think that's really cool Oh, it sounds it. Um, I love uh, storytelling games and uh, the power it gives to players to create 
what they want out of the subject. What and you talked a little bit about powered by the apocalypse, which I can see from you uh, briefly describing your game. Uh, what other was there other games that inspired this, or was it just mostly storytelling role playing games in general? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, so we have a ton of inspiration. I, I I went to our, it's not in the Ashcan copy because we just want to provide the, as minimal pages. You can get the Ashcan right now. It's it's freely downloadable. Um, but in the, in the final book, we'll have essays and things that we can help uh, contextualize the game. And that's inspired by di- dialect. In fact, a lot of the structure of the game where it's like kind of like how find your own adventure, like you're at certain dis- decision points, especially if you're playing in a three hour game, right? Um, you can't do all of the scenes. So you have to, there are certain points where you decide, oh, are we going to play a scene that is more thoughtful or a game that is more uh, like a, a scene that is more confrontational, right? And so that's inspired by dialect. It's obviously inspired by the book of Exodus it's, uh, and you know the moves are, and the kind of vibe is inspired by Apocalypse World. Um, uh, at, which is by uh, Vincent Baker and Miguel Baker. Um, the, the the magic that I saw in uh, Hannah Schaefer's and Evan Rowland's Questlandia 2, which is kind of like a Schrodinger's game. Is it does it exist? Does it not? Uh, <laughs> they had a um, a version of that game that they're still playtesting for many years. Uh, that there's certain t- questions that uh, are helping to frame a scene with questions. Um, that we took from that. Uh, there's uh, a wonderful creator named Avram Yosef Baez, who's um, created a game named Trap, which is um, uh, well, we he kind of inspired us um, because he creates a number of uh, Jewish games, like and some that are spe- specifically like you know this is for Jews, and um, uh, and it's like providing the confidence that you know we can make this game that's niche, but it's also welcoming. Um, a, stru- a lot of the structure of the ritual scenes are inspired by Sleepaway by Jay Dragon, um, and the structure of the playbooks themselves, um, and cert- uh, and how the questions are asked of the characters. Like, for example, um, every character has a point where they're in character creation, which you know takes maybe ten minutes. It's very simple, or it's it's just a a, a list of two or three, um, uh, three or four kind of. Uh, pick lists, right, um, that are, we've thought took a lot of time to think about. And one of it is like, describe yourself. And so, for example, uh, you know, Moses could describe themselves as a, a shattered base, right? And so you can describe why that, why you feel that way. Or, you know, the Pharaoh could be, I'm like, I feel like black lightning. That's like how I would describe myself. And that's inspired by Dream Askew by Avery Alder. Um, and Dream Apart by Benjamin Rosenbaum, which is another great uh, Jewish role-playing game about a shuttle. Um, the game sheet, like the the character keeper, is inspired by uh, Brinkwood Refuge by uh, Ray Najadi, um, and Hearts of Wulin by Lowell Francis and Agatha Chang. Uh, what other inspirations? Uh, there's like, at the beginning of the game, um, there's, we kind of moved one of the core rituals of the Passover Seder, which is the you know the the reciting of the Passover story, right? Um, it's called the Megid, and we put it at the top so that any player who comes to the table can um, become familiar and, and uh, with the story of Passover right away. It's like just a, a brief one-page uh, reading aloud of that foundational text, and that's inspired by Bluebeard's Bride 
by Marissa Kelly. Good game. Um, it's so good, yeah. and it's it it's a very focused game. Um, you know, there there's a game there's a move in Bluebeard's Ride called Shiver from Fear. It's like when a player physically reacts to you know what's happening in this, in the environment. The um, uh, what what is it called? Not the gravekeeper. The groundskeeper is that what the game calls the GM? Oh, it's uh, been a while. You know, sure. you know, uh, ask them like what they what they, are they what are they afraid will happen? <laughs> um, and it's it's just so powerful. And, and like I think that you know if Manish, Manishtana is like it's if it's niche, it's powerful and. In the sim, it's in a similar way that Bluebeard's Bride like has a very specific story to tell. It's a it's a story about oppression uh, against femininity, about it's uh, uh, the terror of uh, power relations between like uh, men and women in a certain period of history, and how they're still resonant today. Uh, and and like that feminine horror is like the focus of the game. In our game, it's it's about revolution and family. And if we could achieve the power of Bluebeard's Bride, I would be so satisfied. Mm. Uh, I think those are our main inspirations. Yeah. Yeah. That's a gr good group of games to draw inspiration from. And with this and talking about games in general, uh, games right now, we we're just talking earlier about how there's uh, an amazing amount of indie game developers out there are creating terrific games mm. of all genres and types but one type i don't see very much of is uh games based on different religions and, and faith can you talk about in your opinion why it's important that there are games like yours and others out there that tackle subjects like this on uh faith and uh some like you some you said are just based for people that faith and some like yours are for anyone to try but why is it important there are games like yours out there Oh, that's a great question. Uh, well, I, I, I'm going to first, you know, take uh, a quarrel with the assumption. Well, I mean, you might not see there's a lot of uh, games that deal with faith, but, mm -hmm. you know, uh, well, there's two answers to that. There's, you know, Christianity is imbued in almost all role-playing games. True. Like, no, that's uh, true. You know, Dungeons & Dragons, it's excessively Christian and mm -hmm. it's, it's perspective of religion um, and, and, like, its assumption of how, like, gods relate to their followers but um like for specifically you know real real world religions how they're expressing games uh there's a ton of uh really cool games on itch uh, even if you could just type in the search like jewish <laughs> like um like a bunch of games will pop up um but i i will answer your like more seriously your question of um why it's important to create games that are you know upfront about the religious perspective mm -hmm. i think it's you know religion and culture are one in this like you know they're 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 siamese twins right um so if you're not making games about religion you know you're you're being silent about certain cultures and that's like a representation of like a certain type of a crusade right like it's a certain type of uh silence and uh, obfuscation of um, of people or a perspective that exists in the world, which is, I think, uh, quite sad. I think that, you know, writing from very specific perspective, it, it, it kind of sharpens your view about um, what is this game trying to say, right? Um, 
I think that there's a lot of actually aspects of religion and religious practice in games. For example, in games um, like Ironbound or like uh, which have oracles where you draw from cards and see how uh, that affects the uh, narrative flow of a situation. Um, that's literally just the word oracle. <laughs> this is a religious. Um, it's a religious reference, right? Like um, using cards is an ancient uh, mystical uh, practice that helps people imagine new possibilities that they did, weren't kind of available to them before they drew a card. Like, oh, what if, you know, this uh, queen of swords, what does that represent in the scene, right? And that's just using the tarot. Um, what else? Rolling dice itself is a is extremely uh, tied to religions, ancient and new. Religious practice is imbued, if uh, unnoticed, in a lot of gaming. Uh, uh, but if you're writing from with a narrative voice that is religious, um, I think that the kind of the unflattering aspects of you know Christianity. Uh, uh, that has drowned out a lot of people's voices in a lot of ways for for many years. Um, even in role-playing games, you know, a, a lot of people taking issue with the role-playing games in the 80s saying this is unchristian. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's it's honoring witchcraft or something. Like, you know, it, it turns people off to the possibilities of religion, not, it's like, um, and like, just like thinking about um, a world that is not only material, it's not only uh, ends at death, but it's a world where people are actually connecting, where there's, um, like for me, I am actually an atheist, but you know, I think that where I see there's a lot of meaning in, in Judaism, like personally, is, you know, that we are connected and we have a duty to um i'm not here to save anyone i'm here to you know live my best life possible um and i think that playing role-playing games is part of my practice doing that um uh to be a good human being and a good member of the gaming and greater community um yeah huh. that's my perspective of playing games is, and religion. No, I'm glad you were talking about that because it's very true that I didn't think about that. But even in uh, games like Dungeons and Dragons, there's so much elements of it that uh, stem from uh, religion. And just kind of a random shout out uh, for people that are interested more in like how you talk about how like in the 90s, uh, a lot of people were kind of like trying to burn Dungeons and Dragons because it was anti-Christian. <laughs> there is a movie from 2014 called uh, Dark Dungeons that I recommend to a lot of people, which is a interesting movie that takes the work of uh, the TAC, I believe it was the TAC works. Uh, 
mm-hmm. of uh, that one writer who would make uh, comics based on his opinion on Dungeons & Dragons and how it's witchcraft, and they made a movie based on his work. And uh, it's very cool because I talked to the director and a lot of people, when they watch this movie, they're like, this movie is garbage. This is like <laughs> because we're seeing it from this point in time where it's ridiculous that you would even think Dungeons & Dragons is like of a mark of witchcraft. But when they made mm-hmm. the movie, they weren't trying to make a documentary. They weren't trying to say the guy was right. They were just trying to make the most honest adaptation of his work, which was ridiculous, and translate it to a movie. uh, I think it would be a great game, right, for people to uh, make a kind of – a game about high schoolers playing Dungeons and Dragons, but they're actually involved in witchcraft. That would be a great, yeah, honestly, <laughs> a great indie game. Everyone, should, like someone, should make it. Someone's um, got to now for sure. Uh, so oh, that's a, a cut. I want to watch that movie now. Thank yeah, you, Dark Austin. Dungeons, good movie, and uh, well, it's a movie people watch and they go, "This is garbage," but it's purposely made like that, emulating something that was. Uh, kind of horrible from the 90s or maybe it was the 80s i don't remember <laughs> uh, wait so so what do the kids in the films do they do they like immolate someone <laughs> yeah so the kids in the movie they're in college and there's like two girls and they both get into dungeon dragons and it's funny because the kids who play dungeon dragons in this college are like mm-hmm. the cool jock kids they like mm-hmm. wear leather vests and they look like from a stereotypical high school movie like the jock high schoolers but it's oh, like yeah. furthest from oh, wow. actual real life when <laughs> typically the D players are like the nerdiest ones in the college but in here they're made to look really cool and stuff because they're trying to bring everyone into this cult and it's a great movie well, and it's hilarious <laughs> i love that yeah well, you know in, in playing role-playing games it's it's not for you know reclusive people it's one of the most social things you can do to have yeah. a conversation for Honestly. five hours yeah uh, and so and i know a bunch of jocks who play Dungeons and dragons uh so i think that's a very accurate film i'm uh and i i want to do witchcraft now with with uh <laughs> yeah do it with role-playing games yeah you should for sure uh in this game in uh there's one part that I really, really love, which is the ritual component section of the book, mm. which is the more hands-on version. And you have two different sections. One, if you do a very good job of making this game so that people who can play or are lucky enough to play in person can do that, and people who have to play online, which because of COVID right now and you know everyone being so far from each other just mm-hmm. in general, uh, that is something that's really took off the last couple of years. But you have two different sections for people that can play in person or not, and you have the mm-hmm. five ritual components Can you talk to the audience, and me, of course, but to the audience about what the five ritual components are and why you think it's very important to have in the game? And I love it, but just talk to us about it. Oh, wow. So I have two answers to this. Let me scrub to the the actual components people are supposed to prepare (laughs) so I don't forget any. Like, there's two answers to this question. Um, You know, one, like, uh, is a a physical, just a very... um, realistic perspective on the rituals themselves um and then the another is uh from a kind of mini game perspective um so i'm going to start ins- with with the first so this game is built upon the rituals of passover seder it's muddled on how you celebrate at home right um 
and so in the in the traditional seder there's things like you you know you dip your hands in salt water right or you you eat leafy greens or you have um a cup of of wine or something where you drink right or you have something with bitter flavor like horseradish or you have matzah at the table which is a kind of like uh a actually delicious dry cracker that it's like unleavened bread um so you have these kind of ritual components uh, that you do certain things at the at the seder with um and so when we were first crafting the game we just had a spreadsheet of those and we we're trying to to connect in each ritual action of, of the traditional meal with with a a bit of the traditional uh the conventional story of exodus right and like what scene works with what and then you know i am a, a player in online spaces and i play on the gauntlet which is a great uh and healthy uh role-playing community uh and so i want to play with people who are not just jewish right um and also to do that so we're thinking of alternative or abstract rituals that you can do that are you know more fit for not in person or for people who are like not as into like a Jewish religious practice. So things like, you know, just getting something to drink, uh, getting something you part don't particularly like but are willing to eat, uh, or getting something dirty and cleaning uh, something with it. Um, or, you know, talking about something that has is old or has been in your life for a long time. And like, you can talk, do a sh bit of show and tell about that. Or you can, in a part of the ritual, um, you can break something or, or uh, otherwise destroy it. And so there's these like parts of the narrative where, you know, you stop role playing and before you go into the next scene, um, you do a bit of action or like a mini game, like, you know, hiding matzo somewhere for someone to find um, that is connected thematically with a part of the story. Um, and so that that's kind of the first answer. It's like we have these kind of, physical uh, moments like e the even part of the game um, asks you to turn your your video screen off for almost two screen two two scenes right um, where like you know the the angel of death you know that that big moment comes over Egypt and the, like a bunch of e Egyptian uh, firstborn sons are killed in the tr conventional narrative like there a miracle occurs in Egypt and there's a, po a point where you cannot see any of the other characters or um, on screen and it's it's something that's very different than in almost any role-playing game I've come across where it's asking you to do physical things that are not in the narrative uh, <laughs> uh, to help represent that um, I, and it, it reminds me of a bunch of mini games um, like in games like uh, uh, Mege Baker's and um, Vincent Baker's uh, Firebrands, or in uh, Zabia's Bed and Breakfast by Jay Dragon and Jay's team. Uh, you have a, a kind of modern movement of games that are like thinking about uh, how can we do certain things that kind of disrupt the general flow of, of play where you're just in the narrative uh, that help us, you know, take breaks from it and do fun physical games like you know you would do as kids to get a kind of theme, not a thematic break but a um, a a break from the 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 mental load that is inherent in role playing uh, where you're having to balance narrative and your character and your own personal needs. Um, there's a, a a cool bit of the game. So there's there's a part of the game called Shulkan Orek which is a moment of respite. And it's just, you know, at this point, 
we think, you know, optionally, it would be a great place to take a break <laughs> for players to do. Uh, and, you know, it, you start the break where, you know, the ritual guide says, let's take a break. And then people can do a bunch of actions. They can, you know, go use the lavatory or go eat a meal, meal with each other, uh, drink water, listen to music, or read one of the essays that will be in the book at the end. Um, and then we end the break by the ritual guide saying, or anyone saying, now where were we? Uh, and this is just a physical action that is written into the story so that there's like a, a safe kind of welcome space, you know, oh, maybe we should take a breather uh, uh, from this narrative. Um, uh, and that's like a physical thing that you do that's not, you know, written into the story uh, that helps you kind of think about the story or take a bit of time to reflect on the meaning of it, uh, which is something that's really cool and a part of LARP culture, especially Nordic LARP culture um, and, and the communities that I'm a part of, um, uh, but is something that I think could be built more into role-playing games today. Taking a step away from this game and just talking about writing games in general, for those out there, and this is a question I ask for everyone I talk to, every game creator, because everyone has yeah. very such unique ideas and a unique path that led them to where they are now. Uh, what tips or tricks do you have for inspiring RPG writers that just need to get out there and make their game, regardless if it ends up getting published or not? Mm. Well, you know, one of the things that I, I think is regrettable about, you know, the Twitterverse is that they say, you know, uh, you know, you should every every designer should sell their game, right? Um, uh, I uh, that you should make your games and like uh, charge money for it. And it, this is reasonable in one perspective, uh, where it's you know, if if your game is free, like how can I how who would buy my five US dollar game? But um, but I I think that this is a you know a hobby, and you know people no matter who you are, will enrich it by putting your voice into the space. Um, a few tips, I think just write games and, you know, uh, write games for a community that you're a part of, right? Like in which you're actually in like a real relationship, a relationship with people so that when you get critique, it's not harsh, right? Or, um, and when you're celebrated, it's it's genuine, genuine right? Um, to be in community, um, in a real way is uh, what makes a lot of great games and has uh, inspired a lot of ideas. It's just like us asking each other questions and saying, what if? Um, I think, you know, Discord is a great space for that. I think Twitter is a terrible space for that. Just write, you know, just uh, even if your game's not particularly pretty, right? If you can put it out there uh, and, you know, you feel good about your game, I think that's enough, right? Yeah, just right. Yeah, just right. The the and don't give up. Um, you don't have to make the best game in the world. There is no optimal game. You know, GURPS. It you know it was the general, what's the universal role playing? Uh, I forget. Um, uh, system. Um, and but you know it does a lot of things well, but it's not fit for every game. Mm. Um, I think the more niche, like starting out, like. You know, write a game about high schoolers committing witchcraft through Dungeons and Dragons. I think that's a great game. Like, you're like <laughs> talking about your experience of what would be fun, what movies you like. Um, 
Yeah, and and think about you know you a lot of other media because I think that there's a lot of things to be learned not just from role playing games, although you know designers are students of the systems we find around us. Uh, you can be a student of art and have that inspire your game. You can be a student of movies and how certain characters act in certain situations inspires how you write a certain ability or a move in your game. Um, just to be uh, thinking about what would fit or be cool in a game I'm creative, uh, I'm creating and move about the world with that perspective, it's, then the world is ripe with in inspiration to write your material. And like for us, writing a very culturally sensitive game, it's just rope, like playtesting and playing it with lots of people and hearing their questions and their concerns and taking them seriously. Um, I don't think that every game needs to be playtested. Um, but if you're writing a very culturally sensitive one where you need to be as clear as possible, and for me, clar clarity is a form of comfort and a form of accessibility, uh, then you know playtesting is key and play with as many people as possible. And so that kind of comes back to community. I think you know, if you want to be a role-playing game designer, be a role-playing game citizen <laughs> and connect with other people uh, beyond your uh, game group if you feel comfortable with that. That's my and perspective that, right now. Yeah, and on that subject, you have a whole section in your um in the pdf of the ashcan uh version which like you said already before and i'll put this as a link in there that right now it's the ashcan version is listed for free on your itch uh you have a whole page in there that is dedicated to thanking the people that help play test this with you and there's a lot of people can you talk about your journey of play testing this because seeing the amount of people that you thanked in this, it looks like you did a lot of play testing. How did that go? Yeah. So those are the people who actually responded to our like a uh, play testing form. We played with more people who didn't respond <laughs> or we didn't have a link provided at the time. Um, but that, it was like people on the gauntlet, right. Or p playing with people in cafes in Osaka or even uh, with teachers or family, like one of the first, playtesters play of the game is our family, right? Um, like my mom did, my aunts and uncles did, my cousins helped uh, play. Uh, and getting their perspective was really rewarding. Um, and then, you know, as they fill out the form, it's like asking certain questions like, oh, did you like this game or not? It's not like that. It's more like, you know, what were you expecting coming into this game, right? Like if you were to describe this game to someone else, how would you describe it? And like seeing how people describe their experiences um, or like were there any moments where you stumbled or did not feel confident uh, like thinking about the questions you're asking players very consciously um, I think helped us find parts in the game which were a little too dark and we needed to lighten up um, there's like a, a bit of text that we're we're adjusting for two years <laughs> um, uh, that kept going back and forth based on how people kind of responded to that scene. Um, what else? Yeah, um, it was just oh, a, pa a passionate project, playtesting with cool people. Uh, and, you know, we could have probably done less playtesting 
but I think the reason why the, the, the text sings is because we were thinking so long about how this text reads, not to just people in our family or our friend group, but to strangers in different communities. Like, um, I am one who's of the people who think that you should always break out of your gaming niche. And if you're playing with dice, play with tokens or play board games or play with, you know, swords uh, and, you know, play with a bunch of different people who don't know anything about games. Uh, <laughs> and and they will give you their honest opinion from a pr very pure perspective. Great. That was my experience playing. It's very joyful. And that's what it really seems like. helped me think about Passover in a bunch of new ways because mm. you're connecting with a bunch of people who are, you know, people who are Jewish and with different backgrounds or people who are not Jewish at all, but like have different perspectives on, on mysticism or faith or the divine in everyday life, uh, which was really rewarding. I think that is like one of the most rewarding things I'm sure is when your game is not a hundred percent yet, but it's getting there and you get to just play your game over and over and get to see so many people, people that you knew your family and friends and a lot of strangers as well, play your game and respond to it. And that is not only rewarding to see people have fun and playing it, but also to get good feedback and how to improve the game. I'm sure that's, and it sounds like it was very rewarding for you and talking about people that are we playing your game, uh, Next week, we're going to be playing your game on the Beer and Pretzel podcast I'm excited for. Can you, as uh, the Woo! last question, yeah, I, I'm pumped, and I'm glad we're able to finally put this together. This has been a work in progress getting this together, but it's finally happening. Uh, <laughs> can you talk about where, so as the final question before I let you go, Ben, um, where can people find you? Where can people find this game in the Kickstarter? And then finally, as a little tease to myself and the audience, what can we expect when we uh, play it and release the actual play of us uh, playing your game? Oh, gosh. Uh, so uh, those are three questions. I'll have to uh, go through them one at a time. Okay, so the f first question is where you can find this game. It would be if you type into Google, M-A space N-I-S-H-T-A-N-A, -A -A, uh, Manishtana, and then uh, RPG, uh You'll probably find, and then like right Kickstarter as well. You'll probably find it. I know a bunch of folks don't like uh, Kickstarter because they're less than moral company. Uh, so if you still just want to support us, even if you're not going to get like the final project product um, initially, we'll, we'll we'll hopefully find a way where you can get PDF eventually. Um, you can go to our itch page where you know you can also download the uh, the Ashcan copy, the playtest materials of play, and you can just type up Manishtana into itch.io, uh, and you'll find us. Um, my Twitter is Kyoto underbar Ben, and Gabrielle is Gabri. Eh, what is Gabrielle's? I don't know actually. Uh, at Gabrielle Rab, so G A B R I E L L E R A B. Um, so that's Gabrielle's Twitter, um, and. The experience you're going to get is uh, its kind of whatever you want to make it. Um, we're going to have a fun time eating trashy food and thinking about uh, the nature of revolution and family. And I'm excited to play Austin. Yeah, and we're going to be excited to play it and then uh, release it. So for our audience, uh, by the time this episode comes out, 
All you have to do is wait a week and you'll hear the actual play. But yeah, Ben, we're going to be talking to you soon. But thanks for coming on the show and talking to me about this game. I'm very excited to uh, actually get to play it next week. Austin, it's been a total pleasure hearing about your dreams of moving to Peru. And uh, <laughs> if I'm putting words into your mouth. Uh, uh, I have dreams of getting uh, anywhere outside the United States, not just Peru. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just come to the Kyoto and I'll, and I'll host you for a bit. It'll be fine. Um, and I'm so happy to kind of present to your listeners, right, this game that my cousin and I have been working on for two or three years um, because it's so close to my heart and I think it has a true soul. Um, uh, I I, I want to read part of the text as like as we're going out. It's from the beginning. It's from page three, and it's 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 kind of daring. It is the acknowledge. It's not the acknowledgments page. It's the uh, the page where you dedicate uh, a book to someone. And so it reads this: a prayer to those who survive plagues only to face eviction, to those whose ancestral homes are under colonial siege to dreamers who fight to be heard, to those who wrestle with corporate tyrants to form unions in fulfillment centers and coffee shops, and to all those who have felt the knee of oppression on their neck and cried out, I can't breathe. May this be a prayer for your freedom. And truly this game is about the struggles that we all undertake every day. Uh, and we hope that you'll join us on this journey. Thank you so much, Austin. Yeah, thank you, Ben, and thanks for our audience for listening to this interview and catch us next week when we play this game. Um, I want to uh, apologize for the lack of episodes we've been publishing recently as um, recently I got COVID and we couldn't get together to play games, And but I am back to being uh, full energy and we getting back to playing role-playing games. we got a whole bunch of great games on our docket, and I'm very happy and proud that this game made by Ben is going to be the first on our docket of returning back from a two- or three-week absence and return to the great world of role-playing games. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and good night.